This is exactly right. Are you listening to Why Won't You Date Me with Nicole Byer? The show has something for everybody, whether you're single and dating, in a relationship, maybe you're currently driving to divorce court. Nicole is wonderful, and she's been single for decades, and she can't figure out why. So on Why Won't You Date Me, she's on a quest to figure out how to be less awful at dating. She interviews comedians and celebrities about their love lives. I mean, I've been on the show, sorry, but I have. Trixie Mattel, Lacey Mosley, Paul F. Tompkins. New episodes release every Friday. Listen to Why Won't You Date Me with Nicole Byer wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to I Said No Gifts. I'm Bridger Weiniger. Um, what's going on? I've got uh, my phone on Do Not Disturb. I've got... I have the computer on Do Not... Dis- I don't have... Well, I've got them both on Do Not Disturb. So I guess if you want to disturb me, you're going to have to find me. Uh, I'm in a very nice place. I've had one and a half cups of coffee. I've got water. I have every liquid I could possibly need. And I've got a guest that I'm thrilled to talk to. It's Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Jesse, welcome to I Said No Gifts. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to see you. And uh, you're currently in a shared workspace from, from what I know. Yes, yes. I shared that with you, that information. <laughs> Where is this space? It's in New York City. It's, a, uh, it's, not, it's not a WeWork, but it's something similar to that. Right. It doesn't have a like a WeWork aesthetic. You, you almost have kind of a, a Victorian curtain behind you. Yeah. It's kind of haunted looking. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Which I feel like would be a, a decent uh, idea. I feel like all of the shared spaces were very clean and very, you know, minimalist for a while. I feel like maybe it's time to give them more of a haunted vibe. Just like a Victorian townhouse. <laughs> right. Yes, that I feel like that's the next uh, the next step for these shared spaces to give a little bit more of a theme rather than just kind of like a, a an empty Apple store. <laughs> I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's been going on? You're in New York. Yeah, I'm in New York. I'm doing a play uh, on Broadway right now called Take Me Out. And that's wrapping up in about a week. And oh. uh, yeah, so we're, I'm coming to the end of that. It's been a great run. We were meant to do this back in 2020. And then had to shut down when Broadway shut down. Sure. And uh, yeah, so it's been it's been great to finally get it up on its feet. And um, yeah, it's 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 a very emotional thing to be closing a play that I've been working on for so long. You know, we're all right. starting to have separation anxiety. <laughs> so you were all ready to go in 2020 and then obviously didn't do it. But over the course of the two years, did you think about the play? Was there work done on the play? Or did you just kind of put it on hold and start over again once we were able to. Yeah, I, I had a hard time looking at the play and and it was just too heartbreaking to sort of revisit because I didn't know if if we would be able to come back to it. I didn't know 
you know, how if Broadway was going to survive this, if um, I didn't know if I was still going to be available when, when and if it did survive. But that being said, I think it sort of lived within me and I marinated in the idea of this character for, for a year and a half, whether I wanted to or not. So when I did finally come back to it and it did work out with schedules and everything that I, I was a completely different person first off than oh, I was, yeah. you know, a year and a half earlier, but, um, but we did start over. We didn't, you know, we had been in rehearsal for, I think almost three weeks before we had to shut down the first time. And I think we scrapped everything I mean, mostly because we couldn't remember anything we did oh, either. Um, and we started over, which I think was a kind of lovely way to, um, come back to it. It's just, just sort of start with a clean slate and, um, you know, it's done very well. It got four Tony nominations. So it's been very validating to know that not bad at all. So yeah, it's been, it's been great. I'm, I'm really thrilled that it's, it's, um, been such a great run and people are enjoying it. And, uh, I feel very accomplished. <laughs> now, the, I mean, the play is kind of a, it has to do with baseball, but I'm curious as a gay man, what your experience is with playing baseball, because mine has never been positive. I, I don't think I've ever <laughs> successfully connected a bat with a ball. Oh gosh. I don't know if I have either, to be not perfectly honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was definitely an indoor kid growing up and, uh, did not participate in team sports and, uh, you know, was very intimidated by the jocks in my school. And mm-hmm. I went to a high school and, uh, I went to a Catholic high school where sports were very important Oh, gorgeous. and that's, you know, so that was, I was like, what about me? What do I, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> but yeah, I, I did love seeing games. With my dad, I sort of, I liked, I liked the, the pomp and circumstance of, of baseball, you sure. know, like the national anthem at the beginning and the first pitch and like, you know, the, the, the people selling Cracker Jacks and peanuts and, uh, you know, giving a hot dog, but then, you know, you're stuck watching the long, it was mostly right. the heat. It was the heat for me. <laughs> That's really what bothered me. I was just, I did not like to be hot. And it was, you know, you're in no shade and you're just hot. I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it was hot. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I could listen to elect, like an electric organ playing songs all day, but put me in a stadium with that and it's not, yeah. not as appealing. Right, 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 right. So I uh, I feel like you're probably not a summer person. Are you a summer person? Um, I enjoy being in the air conditioning in the summer <laughs> or in a pool. Um, okay. As long as there's shade around, I need the shade. You know, I'm a, I'm a redhead. So, you know, I, it's like not today, melanoma. <laughs> How has your skincare journey been as, uh, as a fellow fair-skinned redheaded person? Yes. I feel like... Uh, we probably both grew up in a time when the world was not as kind to fair-skinned people. Uh, you know, I feel like redheads had a, through the 80s and 90s, it was not a fun experience to be a child with red hair. No, I, I feel like we really, you know, now it's, it's, a, it's, it's a cool thing to have red hair. Um, <laughs> it's also like in certain pockets of this country, it's also like, cool to be queer you know it's like i love like you know it's 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 in now and not so much when i was a kid um i i've suffered a lot of really bad burns also i think you know sunscreen and my parents knew that it was important but didn't necessarily they weren't you know diligent about it and now i'm i'm a dad now so i'm like always slapping sunscreen on on my kid and it's like i'm not gonna put you through any burns like my my parents did because you know now i'm paying the price as a of course six-year-old man 
I want. I mean, I that would be my time machine moment to go back and just say, please put on some more sunscreen. Yes, absolutely. I, <laughs> that's the most important piece of advice. I guess there was that terrible song about sunscreen in the nineties. Uh, right, it was just right. Uh, the man talking about sunscreen, but I didn't heed any of those warnings. <laughs> now, are you putting sunscreen on every morning now? I try to. Yeah. But what does that mean? You try to. Uh, I'm going to say 75% of the time I'm, I'm good about it. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, it's uh, at least on my face. At least on my right, face. Right, right. I feel like I'm still, I'm still struggling. Maybe 25%. Your skin looks great. Well, I you know, like I'm... You're doing better than I am. Unless you always stay in that carpeted room and you're just never going outside. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like there were probably 20 years of my life that were just real hit or miss with sunscreen. Yeah. But, you know, the 90s uh, was very tan-oriented. And no matter what uh, you told me, I didn't believe that. I, I I always thought maybe eventually I'll be able to get a tan. No. It's just simply not happening. No. no there's red or, red or white. Or red options. or white. Two just <laughs> bizarre skin colors. Uh, here's my question. Here's an interesting... Well, it's not an interesting question, but do you remember a shift in the United States from people describing people with red hair going to saying ginger? Because I feel like until maybe like the mid-thousands, it was red hair. You had red hair, yeah. and then it yeah. became gingers. Uh, the first time I heard ginger was in the UK. Right. Like that, and then it sort of made its way across the pond. Right, and it, it seemed very charming for a long time, and then it just became, became yeah. normalized, and now it's just a thing that we say. But uh, I grew up, it, the vocabulary for me was red hair. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, there was I, like, a I like ginger. I think ginger is sweet. Yeah, it is a nicer, uh, you know, it's like a, it just seems more positive. And I think it was probably part of the pro-redhead movement that we're now benefiting from. It's like as if as if a hair color had an, a nickname, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like a fun little nickname. I mean, fun ginger spice. I guess ginger spice was kind of Again, the front the UK. Yeah. UK. Yeah. She stormed uh, the American shores and kind of laid... <laughs> laid the path for the rest of us. But I do want to, I just want to take every redheaded child aside now and say it wasn't always this easy. Exactly. <laughs> you stand on our shoulders, for sure. <laughs> on my sunburned shoulder. Exactly. Um, okay, so the play is ending in a week. Uh, and then what's happening? Are you coming back to Los Angeles? What's the deal? Uh, yeah, I'm coming back to LA. Uh, I never imagined not living on the East Coast when I was, I did theater, you know, right out of school. I was here right. for 15 years before moving to LA. And I still, to this day, feel like I'm just visiting LA. You know, I've been there now longer <laughs> than I ever lived in New York. But it just feels like home to me here on the East Coast. But that being said, now that I'm a father and having a kid with me, I mean, New York's a hard place to raise a kid. And I'm doing it in the summer where there's like things to do outside. Oof. I can only imagine what it'd be like in the dead of winter. So I'm, I'm happy to go back to LA <laughs> or have a little bit more space and, you know, a yard and a pool and right and a car seat in the back of the car. That, exactly right. Yeah, New York's a hard place to be just as a single person. I can't imagine with totally. a child and yeah, that's that's a tough situation. Wait, so how long have you lived in LA? Gosh, I mean, it's got to be uh, Modern Family ran for eleven years, and I was there for like maybe three years before that. And Modern Family's been off for two years, so eleven, twelve, thirteen, almost sixteen years, I think. Sixteen oh, wow. or seventeen years, yeah. Yeah, I've been here for maybe 12, and I still, yeah, I, 
feel similarly where I'm just like, I will always be a tourist here. I will never know yeah. how to get around. I have very vague idea of how to get from east to west. Uh, yeah. But basically, if I were to, if someone asked me to draw a map of Los Angeles, it would be an absolute blur. <laughs> Simply no idea how the city is shaped or where anything right. is. Right, yeah. Uh, but I assume, well, maybe it's because we, I moved here as an adult and my brain was basically, you know, solidified. So it's harder to, you know, learn things and, uh, you but can't be expected to learn new things at, at this age now. Oh, there, I can't be expected to, to do anything at this age. <laughs> I'm done. I'm absolutely done. And to learn of, you know, a giant metropolis's map system. No, thank you. I, yeah. uh, I can get to a coffee shop. And uh, maybe get halfway across town before I'm delving into Google Maps or whatever. Right, right, right. Although I do just think Google Maps has ruined all of our brains as far as directions. Yeah, no, for go. sure, one hundred percent. When I first moved to LA, I had the, the Thomas Guide, which is you know a, a paper map with a grid, and like you know, I, I that's how I got around. I, I had a little Mini Cooper, and I got my Thomas Guide, and I'd have to pull <laughs> over and figure out where the streets were and look on the grid, it's because F, F1, so I'd find the oh. F square and the one square and bring my, my fingers together and be like, okay, it's somewhere in this grid and I'd have to find the street and, you know, but I, I made it work and I was a lot sharper back then. Of course, of course. I'm sure your brain appreciated it. That, that I mean, just you describing that to me is uh, just anxiety bells going off in my head. There's no, I would have died. I would have died within three days. There's no chance. Are you kidding me? I mean, uh, my spatial skills are weak enough as is i can't so it was just a it wasn't really a map it was a grid well it's it was it's like a it's like a book it was like an atlas almost and you'd have to <laughs> find the neighborhood you're in and it'd be on a certain page and so you know i i was mostly in the same area so it was like uh, you know silver lake los los Feliz and in west hollywood so those pages were basically had been used so much they were they came out of the thomas guide like they weren't even <laughs> they fell out of the book because i was just always covered in those food pages. exactly so and at this point, do you feel like you can, you can get around pretty easily? Yeah. I mean, I also, you know, we have our GPS and it tells us where to go. And even if I know where I'm going, I still put the GPS in because, like, you know, it tells you if there's traffic. It's, you know, it does right. everything for you. Right. Although it tells I'm me if I'm suspicious. hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mildly suspicious of the traffic thing. I'm always just like, well, there's just going to be traffic every route in Los right. Angeles. So who cares? The red line doesn't mean anything to me. It'll be a red line no matter where I go. Yeah, yeah. You, Los Angeles, where are you spending your time? Where are you going out to eat? Oh, gosh. Um, there's a restaurant called Horses that I really enjoy in West Hollywood. Oh, it's, Have you been? I haven't been. I'm so intimidated, but I just know that I'm going to, like, I'll try to make a reservation. I The idea of getting there and it being, it, I, it feels impossible to get into. <laughs> it, it scares me, but I want to go. It's really good food. Um, of course. Yeah, just, I mean, it's the hottest place in town. Is it? Well, that I and no uh, there's a restaurant called Mother Wolf that people... Oh, I've been to Mother Wolf. Yes, I've been to Mother Wolf too. Yes, it's very oh, good. Okay, well, now you're just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm I can't even begin off. to... I know, it's insane. <laughs> I can't even imagine... Mother Wolf is a huge... A Mother Wolf is very big. You can definitely get in. It's big? Okay. It's a very large space, yes. I mean, I get on the reservation page and it's like, would you like to eat there six months from now at 4.45 for dinner? And it's just like... <laughs> oh, no. I'm not doing... I'm not rearranging my life in that way. No, I totally understand. I didn't realize it was, it was that complicated. My God. 
It's very tricky. And then a lot of these restaurants, they'll only do reservations a week out, which... I know, I know. It does, I can't, it, it's like uh, Black Friday or something. Like, you have to camp out. It's <laughs> At some point, it's not worth the battle for me. I'm too lazy. I understand. Some of the easier places, like, uh, have you been to All Day Baby? And I love All Day Baby. I can yeah, get into too. All Day Baby. Exactly. That's delicious food. And um, uh, Kismet... Oh, of course. We love. Great. I've had. Uh, I had a. Have you ever had their rabbit feast? I've seen people have it. And I've always been intimidated to get it. Is it delicious? It. Let's let's be completely honest. It's fine. I would <laughs> yeah, rather okay. get everything else on their menu. A friend really wanted to try it, so I tried it. I I don't think I had had rabbit before. Uh, probably not going to have another rabbit feast. Let's be honest. I understand. I get it. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's a bold swing. It's a huge, huge swing. A variety of rabbit preparations. It felt bonkers. I felt, yeah, I just felt like a psychopath eating it. But the rest of Kismet, of course. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty great. Okay, Kismet, All Day Baby. Those are both excellent restaurants. Do you like Mexican food? I do. I mean, you grew up in New Mexico, so I feel like you've probably, you've got uh, big opinions yeah. on Mexican food. Yeah, and New, and New Mexican food is very different than Mexican food. It's uh, a lot of green chili, a hatch green chili, and... Um, it's just prepared differently, and it's. I, I loved. I loved it growing up. Uh, it's my favorite cuisine, and I just haven't been able to find anything any anything like it here. Right. I would love to. I would love to open up a New Mexican restaurant in in Los Angeles. What's stopping you? <laughs> I want to answer. My business manager. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got to get rid of this manager. They uh, they don't have LA's interests in mind. Uh, the city would absolutely welcome a New Mexican restaurant. It would be a huge novelty. I think so. Uh, I mean, okay, I've got to talk to your business manager. This is ridiculous. This is just <laughs> ridiculous. They're they're stopping you from making a lot of money, and uh, kind of tamping down all of our happiness. That's a drag. Well, Jesse. We need to talk about something else. As much as I would like to kind of bully you into opening a new Mexican restaurant in Los Angeles, I need to talk to you about an item I received. Now, this podcast is called I Said No Gifts. You're an entertainment professional. I'm an entertainment professional. The title of this podcast is right there. When you agreed to be on this podcast, I was very excited. I thought, Jesse, you'll play by the rules. We'll have a nice conversation. Uh, but then... I was a little upset recently when I opened the door and there was something waiting for me. And it was addressed to me. And uh, it's in kind of a bag now uh, that says, it's a gift bag. And it says, it's got two gals. And it says, I get wine with a little help from my friends. Uh, so it's kind of a, I have to assume this is some sort of gift for me. Is that true? It might be a gift for you, yeah. Okay, uh, well, I'm happy to open it here on the podcast if that's your game. <laughs> yeah, I'd love for you to open it. Okay, let's dive in here. Let's bring out the tissue. We've got some light tissue. We're diving in. Now it's in a box, uh, kind of just simply addressed to... Oh, it's kind of unwieldy. I'm kind of trying to get away from me here. It's addressed to simply Bridger, which is a little ominous, I'll say. Uh, 
let's rip it open. Let's let's see if my raw strength can get. Oh, we're getting in. We're getting in. We're opening. We're opening. Okay, Jesse. Let's see what's happening here. Well, well, well. If it is not a flex. <laughs> I what I've just opened is food between friends from Jesse Tyler. So what I'm looking at is what I assume is a cookbook uh, right. by you and Julie Tannis. And so what's happening here? What's this disgusting bit of self promotion that I am doing? <laughs> I love that I forced you to talk about my cookbook. Now I wrote a cookbook. <laughs> this is incredible. I had no idea. It's been out for over a year and it's really, it's great. And speaking of New Mexican food, there's a lot of, uh, I, I developed half the recipes in the book and my friend Julie developed the other half and she's from Alabama. I'm from New Mexico. So it's a lot of the food we grew up eating and Southern food and New Mexican food actually goes really well together. There's a lot of recipes in that that are sort of a hybrid of both of our histories and uh, it's beautifully photographed. I think the, I think it's also very funny. It's a very funny cookbook. Um, so yeah, I'm really proud of it. Oh my God, this is so exciting. I had no idea. I I feel like I know that you cooked, but uh, as far as being a now a cookbook author, this is a whole new thing. Now, how did this come about? I actually am very curious about how a cookbook is started because obviously you've just had recipes piling up. <laughs> I assume. We had a blog that we were, me and my friend Julie cook a lot together and we would, you know, post things on Instagram and then people would ask for the recipes. So we started a blog called, wait for it, Julie and Jesse cook. I know. <laughs> Don't ask me how, how we thought of that great title. Months of brainstorming. Months of brainstorming. So that caught the attention of, um, of uh, the publisher and they asked if they could maybe turn these recipes into to a book. And so, but we really did start over. I mean, we, there's very few recipes in that book that were actually on the original blog. Okay. But, uh, it was, a. there's very, I, I don't know very many cookbooks that are actually co-authored in the way ours right. is. So it's very unique in that way. It was, it was interesting that it came out kind of at the beginning of the pandemic because, you know, it's called food between friends and it's about coming together with people that you love. And we obviously were in a time where we couldn't do that. So, I think it gave a lot of people something to sort of bring into their home and feel like that they they were part of something and shared experience. And you know, cooking for friends is all about shared experiences. And and right. um, I, I love cooking for my family and friends. And it was it felt like I was participating in that activity in a time when I couldn't participate in that activity. So how long have you been? You know, I mean, of course, you've been cooking. I'm sure for your entire adult life, but like, how long have you been really trying to be a good chef? Uh, yeah, probably in the past, like 10 years or so, maybe less. I think after I sort of settled in with my now husband, um, you know, when we were sort of seriously dating and it felt nice to be able to take charge of like Thanksgiving dinner and, mm -hmm. and Christmas dinner and, you know, have dinner parties for friends. And I liked bringing people together and celebrating our lives with other people. And so I think after I sort of found my person, it became this other thing that I also wanted to have be a part of our relationship, that I could be the one to cook really delicious meals for, for us and people we loved. Right. And where, so where were you learning your techniques? Was it just a lot of trial and error or was it? Yes. And that's where Julie comes in. Julie is someone I met at a dinner party and I found out she was a chef and we talked about our love, our mutual love of cookbooks and I told her that I'd always dreamed of writing one and she said, I have two. And so I said, well, come over and like, 
teach me some of the things that you learned in culinary school because I don't have time to go to culinary school. I'm on Modern <laughs> Family. And so uh, she would come over and like teach me how to, she learned how to dice an onion or how to like debone a chicken. And so, you know, I learned some of these techniques from her and I, I'm not good at them necessarily. Um, well, let's my knife look, skills are not great, but no, let's let's uh, fluff up these skills. I'm sure you're incredible. You've got a cookbook to sell. I'm better than many people. You must are. be better than most. I don't know about that, but well, okay. yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's always room to grow, isn't there? Uh, what What were some things that were like particularly difficult to learn with cooking? I mean, when you're talking about recipe developing, it's like, you know, just flavors that would go together. And, you know, I mean, some of it's just common sense, but, you know, you have to sort of push the envelope and that's something I'm still learning how to do. Um, just like the timing of cooking a meal, I've really realized and, and embraced the importance of mise en place, which means getting all your stuff together and, mm-hmm. you know, chopping everything beforehand and making the actual cooking process easy. And also you feel like a chef when you're doing it, you know, you're like, pouring bowls of like chopped onions in and it's all coming together remarkably fast like it does on a cooking show. But, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into, you know, before you get to do that. So I kind of find that part of it very meditative and um, learning that you need to take your time at the beginning so that you can cook efficiently with something that I've, you know, took a while for me to grasp. The, the yeah, the, the idea of cooking more than one dish in a 24-hour period to me, I just emotionally shut down. <laughs> I begin to panic. <laughs> Uh, at like, so when there's a full meal prepared by a single person, uh, it's a true, it's a miracle to me. It's yeah. Like, yeah how did yeah. this happen? I know. I know. And I, I, I like that I can impress people with that. I mean, I'm going to be really honest with you. I, I've been doing this play in New York for since February, uh, I've been rehearsal. And so I have not been cooking and I feel like I've lost all my skills. So oh, no. I'm actually, when I go back to LA, I'm going to open up my own cookbook and like <laughs> try it. <laughs> And follow the instructions to tea and sort of reemerge myself into the life of a chef. Yeah. So when you were developing this cookbook with Jubilee, was it like the balancing of a cookbook? Like, oh, we have way too many chicken recipes. We've got to, do, is that kind of the process where it's like, now we need a beef or now we need, like, how, how many chicken recipes is too many chicken recipes? Well, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, uh, chicken is the thing that most people, cook from a cookbook and you know our editors told us that and so we listened oh, to them so there is there is a whole chapter that's just chicken and then there's another chapter that's you know beef and pork but yeah they, 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 there was one point where i realized we had like four three or four fried chicken dishes oh boy like we, had, we had chicken tenders we had fried chicken and there was something else with like a crispy chicken i was like okay we need to pull back on <laughs> and that was all julie being a southerner you know she like likes to fry everything butter and fry it, you know? So, so what, what you're saying is there's uh, at least one unreleased chicken, fried chicken recipe out there, kind of a B-side yeah, chicken recipe. Yeah, exactly. No, that's absolutely true. What's the best dish you can make? What's something you can count on that everyone will be thrilled to eat? Gosh, uh, there's, a, there's a skirt steak recipe in our cookbook that I, I really love, like a carne asada that just has a, a delicious marinade. And, um, you know, you could serve it by itself. You could do it in tacos. It's it's really great. There's also this ground beef and pickle taco oh, that I... is inspired from... So did you ever go to Malo in Silver Lake? Yes. It's now uh, kind of a bar restaurant, I think is what it's called. Exactly. I think it's called bar. Yeah. Um, anyway, they had a ground beef and pickle taco on the, on the menu and we 
loved it so much. And Malo has since shut down. And so we paid homage to them by creating our own ground beef and pickle taco. And it is just so good. And I, it's a combination that a lot of people are nervous about, but it is really <laughs> worth it. It's, it's, it's delicious. Yeah, I'm trying to do the math in my head right now of like to get to a place where I would want to eat a ground beef and pickle taco. Then I just think, oh, that's basically a hamburger. I eat a exactly. pickle on a ground beef. Uh, that all make now it makes sense, but it just required a little context before I was able to. <laughs> but I bet it's delicious. Yeah, and you can make it with ground turkey. Or so, you know, it's right? Delicious. Poultry, I I always get scared. Uh, with beef, I'm like, eh, you can basically cook it to. Uh, once yeah. it looks cooked, you can basically eat it with yeah, chicken yeah. or turkey. Terrified. Yeah. I just, uh, yeah, I never, so I always burn it. If I have a ground turkey or a ground chicken, that will be the driest thing on a plate. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but you'll be safe. And so I yeah, guess yeah, yeah. that's the trade-off. Now, uh, let me, I just want to open the book here and take some, take a peek at what's going on. It looks like there's also some breakfast recipes. Yeah. Seafood gumbo. Well, I'm so excited. And there's also desserts. I love to bake. And uh, so I'm going to have to just dive in and make some some treats or something. We'll see what happens. And then, I, you know, I'll report back and we'll see. I mean, I've all, I'm not a good, I'm not a good cook, uh, but I am a decent baker. So maybe I'll try one of each thing and see what happens. Just try it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll give it a shot. It's, uh, give it a shot. You'll get there. I think it's time to play a game. Okay. We're going to play a game called Gift or a Curse, but I need a number between 1 and 10 from you. Uh, 7. Okay, I have to do some light calculating to get our game pieces. So right now you have the mic. You can recommend something. You can promote something. You can do whatever you want. I'll be right back. Okay. So also something I've I've been working on right now that I'm really excited about is I co-produced and am acting in a scripted podcast called Gay Pride and Prejudice. Uh, it's written by my friend Zachary Grady, and it is a adaptation of Pride and Prejudice set in 2015 when marriage equality first became legal. And if you're a Jane Austen fan, it's something that you're absolutely going to love. If you're not a Jane Austen fan, it's something that you're absolutely going to love. Uh, it's available to stream on Spotify right now. Um, there are 10 episodes, and you know we're happy to be going into Pride Month with this really fun sort of serialized, quirky um, rom-com. It's, it's a rom-com. As uh, Jane, you know, Jane Austen was the first rom-com writer, so we're just taking her, her writing and updating it. And uh, it's got a great cast, me and Rosie O'Donnell and Malik Pancholi. And uh, it's actually, about, I think, an almost entirely queer cast, which I'm really proud of as well. So yeah, that's uh, something I'm very, very happy to be doing right now. Beautiful. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. Listener, Thank there's you. a podcast recommendation. Gay Pride and Prejudice. Yep. Any version of Pride and Prejudice is always delightful. Agreed. We love romance. We love a little funny. So go find that. But in the meantime, we, we need to play Gift or a Curse, Jesse. This is how the game works. I'm going to name three things. You're going to tell me if they're a gift or a curse and why. And I'm going to tell you if you're right or wrong because there are correct answers and you could lose. Okay. Oh. okay. Yeah, and losing is shameful. Losing is embarrassing, <laughs> and everybody hates it when that happens. But uh, look, we'll just see what happens. All right, number one, this is a listener suggestion from somebody named Nina. And Nina is uh, 
wants to know, gift or a curse, buying holiday candy on sale the day after the holiday? Gift, 100%. Why? I mean, I listen, I love candy. That's, that's, I mean, that's where we're starting. I love candy. <laughs> I shouldn't love it as much as I do, but I do. And if you're going to get it at a discount price, why not? I mean, those bags of Halloween candy are huge. <laughs> They're going to last you a few months. And it doesn't go bad after a day. It's just a day. I mean, I would, I'm the type of guy that will buy candy corn in December if it's available to me. <laughs> oh I'm not going to wait until, dis, until October or late August, late September. I'm, I'm going to buy it when I want it. I love candy corn. So if candy corn's involved, what, I, I, don't even know what, I don't even know how this is a, up for debate. <laughs> oh, Jesse, what a horrible way to start the game. It's a curse. Absolutely okay. a curse. Look, I, I understand everything you're saying there, but for me, the the reality of buying the candy the day after is always it sends me into a panic. Like you go, the aisles have been picked bare. Yeah, I, really, what what I'm thinking about right now is the Cadbury mini egg, which absolutely will not still be available the day after. No, you're no. not getting fifty to seventy five percent off on the mini egg because everybody bought them up. So you're showing up, and it's like. Black licorice peeps. Uh, after Halloween, you've got like 80-pound bags of circus peanuts. Sure, you can get them for cheap. Uh, but to me, it's just a sad walk down the aisle. It's a, a reminder that the holiday is over. And also, I have to say, the full price kind of fences you in with your candy purchases. You can't go that too wild. I know I can only buy one bag of the candy rather than fill my uh, cupboards with... No, and again, point. I'm just talking about mini eggs because that's the best holiday candy. Yes. Uh, but here's Jesse with the candy corn. Do they, they... I feel like they should make Christmas candy corn. They, like, make them look like little trees. If they haven't already, that's... I mean, that seems like a no-brainer, right? Right. It should be green with a white tip... Uh, so it looks like there's a little snow on there. Sure. I can't ha I can't come up with every idea for everybody. <laughs> um I don't I don't have the time or energy, but there's one for the candy industry if you haven't already done it. Okay, well, you didn't get that point. That's fine. Let's give it another shot. Uh gift or a curse, robes. Oh. I kind of feel like it's a curse. Why? Um I just feel like no one looks good in them. The minute you sit down or just adjust, even your body moves a certain way, something's falling out. Um, they're either too short or too long. The shoulders never fit. The shoulders are always like down by like my, my the mid part, like by my elbows. Um, the, the tie part always comes out of little loopy doopies and you have to go find the tie. I just, and then I mean, when you use it after getting out of a, out of a bath, or a shower, you're wearing a wet towel. <laughs> that's true. It's, that's what you're doing. You're just wearing a wet towel around. Dry me off and put me put put me in some clothes. I don't want to sit in that in between stage of getting out of the shower and getting dressed. <laughs> now, if I'm at a, if I'm getting a massage and like a, to get from the locker room to the massage room, fine. I'll wear a robe as as a <laughs> as a as a um, an outfit of transportation. <laughs> Okay, well, I, so you're saying curse. I'm saying curse. Jesse, I, I'm not trying to make this hard for you. I'm really not, but you've, you've failed another. 
Robes, no. a gift. What you? I, every point you just made, I can absolutely uh, argue against. First of all, you're saying they're either too short or too long. Okay, if it's too short, it's sexy. If it's too long, it looks like a wizard's cape. That's fantastic. That's powerful. That's exciting. <laughs> off the shoulder? Who doesn't love an off the shoulder look? Okay, now you're talking about putting them on right after the bath. Jesse, dry off, then put it on. Look, here's the thing. I never thought I would own a robe. I never, you know, it always felt like something that was just not for me. Then I was given one as a gift. It is something you kind of need to receive as a gift to unlock its full potential. And now, suddenly it'll be 1130 and I'm wandering around the yard in a robe, feeling incredible, feeling luxurious. It's a beautiful object. It's a gift. Uh Okay. All right. Uh, (laughs) You've got one chance left to redeem yourself, and I'm really I'm rooting for you here. I think you're uh, just gonna be contrary again, though. See, this is this is the thing. I think you're just being contrary. Not. <laughs> Listen back on this podcast. There have been winners, there have been losers, there have been in-betweens. I you might be the first full loser, and I don't want that to happen. I I'll I'll embrace it if I am. <laughs> You've done an excellent job making your points. You, they've just happened to be completely wrong. <laughs> um okay, final one. This is from a listener named Daria. Gift or a curse, claw hair clips. Are you familiar? The little claws yeah. that kind of crunch yeah. your hair. What do you think? Um, I, I I find them to be a curse just because I don't think that they're appealing to look at. <laughs> <laughs> you just think that as an object, it's ugly? Yeah, I just feel like ugh, it's kind of like, like a, I feel the same about a scrunchie. Like, I just, I think that there's <laughs> other options. There's other options. Like, we've been provided with better options that are just uh, more, more appealing to the eye. I just, fi- <laughs> I find that I find the claw as well as a scrunchie. I know, I know we're not talking about scrunchies, but, but both of these fonts as category, I just find them to be a lazy solution. <laughs> you like a little work to be put into a hairstyle. A little bit more work. Yeah. Jesse, I, I absolutely cannot believe t- I this. You have made <laughs> history on this podcast. Oh, as I'm far proud. as I know, no one has ever been walked away a complete loser. Jesse, <laughs> claw hair clips—they're a gift. It's and you—you've also brought up an excellent point with the scrunchie, which I'm also on the side of. Both of, these are the two hair items that I know that also double as a toy. Uh huh. Both are kind of fun to play with, but I feel like the claw hair clips just with the. 90s being back in full force are probably back on trend. Uh, I love to crunch them. You know, when you're bored in church or whatever, when you're a kid, suddenly you've got a toy. Suddenly your little sister's hair clip is around your wrist. This scrunchie is around the wrist. We're using it as an elastic or rubber band. What a delightful thing. And look, we don't all have time to throw our hair into a full thing. Uh, obviously, I'm not wearing either of these. My hair is far too short for either, so I can't really speak to the experience. But I find they're toys. They're fun. They're exciting. Jesse, it breaks my heart. It absolutely breaks my heart to watch you walk away from this game, uh, just burned to ash. Uh, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> you made an. You. I will say the effort was admirable. Uh, I didn't want it to work out this way. But at least you made history. I'm happy to make history in any way. <laughs> and let's be honest, to walk away from this game with one out of three, that's actually more shameful. It, I agree. So you're, you're a star in my eyes. And <laughs> we're now at the final segment of the podcast. 
This is called I Said No Emails, and people are writing in to I Said No Gifts at gmail.com. For some reason, my listeners have just an unending amount of problems and questions about social situations, receiving gifts, giving gifts. Uh, I'm running out of patience with it, but I have no choice but to answer these questions. And then, of course, my guest is always delighted and so excited to help me. So, Jesse, I assume uh, you'll help me to answer a question. Sure. All right, let's get into this. Let's open the document. Okay, this is, okay, hi, Bridger and guest. I live in an apartment that is above one other person. I don't fraternize with the person, but I do sometimes keep tabs on his behaviors, like vaping outside at 1 a.m. and looking at the parking pass on his car to see where he works. Okay, this some alarm bells are going off in my head. Uh, one day, I took a nice self-care bath in my bathtub that was previously having some draining issues. This issue came to a head when the tub was draining. It caused the pipe to burst and spill into the neighbor below me's bathroom and the basement. The landlord assured me this was not my fault, but I do feel partially responsible for putting my neighbor's bathroom out of commission for a few days. I want to give him a gift to express my remorse and guilt for inconveniencing him since he is a very quiet neighbor. Any ideas on if this is necessary and what I should get him? Many thanks, and that's Monica in Michigan. I love when somebody signs off from where they're from. It just feels a little bit more official, and it allows me to imagine where their problem is and why their life is falling apart. Well, it's a very very Midwest thing that she's wanting to do. Uh, To give give a gift for a problem she's caused. Yes, yes. Yeah, what do you think of this situation? I mean... I will say there were the first couple of sentences I was thinking, okay, so this woman is basically stalking her downstairs neighbor. She's looking into his car. Uh, she's watching him in the dark. And then she's flooding his apartment. So yeah. what, need, what needs to happen here? Well, I think, I think that the gesture is very nice. I don't think that, that um, you know, sending something is an apology. It's not her fault. Uh, but I think, you know, it's a nice gesture. It's sort of like, you know, when you move into a neighborhood and you bring, you know, your new neighbor cookies. You know, it's it's, right. it's 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 a nice neighborly thing to do. It's certainly not going to hurt her relationship with her neighbor to do that. Um, is it necessary? No, it's not necessary. But you know, a lot of things that uh, not everything needs to be necessary. I think if it makes her feel good, I'm I'm a people pleaser. I don't like people <laughs> being mad at me. So I get where she's coming from. That right. You want to just do something. It's it's to make herself feel better, which is okay. <laughs> okay, interesting. So. Monica's out there kind of willy-nilly taking baths and flooding uh, neighbors' apartments. Uh, have you ever dealt with flooding? Yes, yeah. How was that emotionally for you? Well, I lived in a place in, in, in New York uh, where the, our, there was a leak in our, our unit, and it actually, our floor started to decay. And I was, could what? look down into the, yeah, I looked down into the apartment below us. I mean, it's just sort of, you know, what happens when you live on top of, people in these old apartments, like things are bound to happen, but it took the building a very, very, very long time to fix it. And it, you know, there was some mold issues and it was, it was awful. It was, I was a kid, like they, they, they weren't taking, I wasn't a priority. Right. Um, and, you know, I had plastic bags around this hole so I could, you know, have privacy when I was in my, it was awful. It was oh, terrible. No. It, so emotionally not great. <laughs> <laughs> Did you grow closer to the neighbor you were able to observe? <laughs> no, I don't even think I... I think we both avoided each other. We were so, <laughs> like, humiliated. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a that's an odd spot to be in where you're kind of both just always in each other's business and the landlord doesn't care. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had some flooding in this very room I'm recording in uh, over the winter, and uh, I had been away on vacation, and I came home, and suddenly my my little office is full of water, and it was it was a breakdown situation. It was a real yeah. uh, life lesson, you know, wielding a mop until the actual professionals could show up. So I know what Monica's neighbor's dealing with, and he's furious. He's yeah, uh, he's not in a good spot. So, Monica, you do need to get him a gift. And, but the thing is, is Monica apparently has really been spying on this person in a huge way mm-hmm. where she should know some personal details about what he enjoys doing, uh, the cleanliness of his car. Uh, she didn't provide mm-hmm. much to go by other than the fact that he vapes at 1 a.m. Right. So Monica leaves us in a lurch where it's like, I don't know what this person needs outside of flood repair. Yeah. Maybe some new tiling. I mean, we were talking about, and we did, you know, kind of get in a huge fight earlier about robes. Uh, One of us thinks that they're a curse. One of us knows they're a gift. Uh, But I did mention that a robe makes an excellent gift. Does it make a good gift for a stranger? That's the big question. Yeah. Showing up to someone's house and giving them something that they'll probably wear in their underwear or naked feels maybe a little invasive. Yeah, inappropriate. But again, yeah. we've uh, Monica has kind of described herself as somebody who doesn't mind spying or getting into people's business. So, Monica, that is an option, and it, or maybe a set of towels, a little, you know, a little nod to the fact that you destroyed his bathroom, a <laughs> uh, piece of art to hang on the wall, uh, bath salts. I mean, the world that is kind of the uh, the world of bathing products is the perfect kind of uh, non gift. It's almost in candle territory where you don't need to know yeah. anything about the person. Right. So uh, some nice soaps, a basket. You go and fill a basket with the soaps, the bu- the bath salts, the bath bombs, uh, what have you. And I think that uh, your neighbor is going to be thrilled. Or a vape pen. Yeah. He could That's always use a new vape pen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Monica, uh, maybe, you know, make sure the uh, pipe and what have you is fixed before you take another bath. That feels like a gift enough to me. And maybe reach out to this guy at 1 a.m. while he's vaping. Maybe yell down uh, to his balcony and uh, start up a conversation. He sounds lonely. His apartment is filling with mildew and muck, all uh, because of you. And it's time that you mend this fence. Jesse, I feel like we answered that question more than perfectly. I think we did. We nailed it. Uh, Monica has nothing to complain about, and it's uh, hopefully she'll be able to solve that problem and move on with her life. Or, you know, she can just leave town and uh, forget about the neighbor. That's always an option, too. Always. Well, I now have this cookbook from you, and I'm going to have to dive in and make some recipes. And a cookbook, you are kind of placing blame on the end user because the recipes may look perfect and they may have been tested to within an inch of their life, but then it gets into the hands of someone like me. And okay. uh, <laughs> it's going to taste as long as it tastes great. As long as it tastes great. I mean, we'll see what happens. I cannot be trusted. Uh, with almost any recipe. But I'll start with the baking, with a treat, and we'll we'll move on from there. Start with the treat. That sounds like a great idea. (laughs) Well, I've just had a fantastic time with you here today. Thank you, Bridget. And uh, listener, this is the end of the podcast. We're moving into the part where you have to, you know, 
as you do every week, make some decisions for your own life. You've got to take responsibility for yourself. And I hope that you're willing to do that. And I trust you. I'm learning to trust you. You're learning to trust me. And we're both going to move on with our days. And just, uh, we'll talk again soon. I love you. Goodbye. I know that I just said that this podcast was over. I have to take one more moment of your time. Forgive me. This podcast obviously is based on integrity, accuracy, and honesty. And it only occurred to me after the recording that Jesse Tyler Ferguson is not the first loser of Gift or a Curse. Uh, He did not make history. I have to make that very clear. I realized after that I... And again, I could be wrong. I'm wrong eh, on occasion, let's be honest. Uh, But I did realize that Carl Tart is the first loser, the first person to drop the ball on all three uh, Gift or a Curse suggestions. Carl lost the game big time. And then he came back for the holiday episode and also lost that. So not only did Carl make history, he uh, is uh, zero for four, not zero for three. So he's kind of the king of the losers of the game. Uh, and I don't want to take that away from him. Jesse Tyler Ferguson, yes, he is a loser and has lost the game, uh, but he was the, I believe, and again, who can tell, Jesse Tyler Ferguson is the second loser of the game, which makes him, it does make him a loser in a different way. Uh, he couldn't even be the first loser, but I had, I couldn't uh, let you go without revealing this information. Thank you. Goodbye. I Said No Gifts is an exactly right production. It's produced by our dear friend Annalise Nelson, and it's beautifully mixed by John Bradley. The theme song, of course, could only come from miracle worker Amy Mann. You must follow the show on Instagram at I Said No Gifts. I don't want to hear any excuses. That's where you get to see pictures of all these gorgeous gifts I'm getting. And don't you want to see pictures of the gifts? But I invited you Self perfectly clear when you're a guest in my home. You gotta come to me empty-handed. I said no gifts. Your presence is presence enough, and I already had too much stuff. So how do you dare disobey? Follow I Said No Gifts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I really don't care. Just don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. It's the least you can do. It really is. It's the bare minimum. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase I Said No Gifts merch. What a wonderful way to support the show. Support the show!